Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet Radio, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. And with me, all the way from across the pond, is the Wall Street Journal gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Oh, better than nothing. That's what my wife always says. You sound a little down. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I'm just trying to build up this uh, reserved English uh, persona, that's all. Hey, talking about um, cheering you up a little bit, though, um, did you see the uh, link I posted onto the Ghost Chronicles uh, Facebook page for that great new device that one of your fellow Americans has invented for his ghost hunters. Huh? Tupperware, is there anything it cannot do? I know. A Tupperware box and a pair of headphone cables. What more could a ghost hunter it. need? It's, but it's you know, awesome. it, it's... $7. It, it, now, how much? It was $7 when I last looked. Do you know, it's $7. almost oh, worth no. it, isn't it? It's almost worth spending really seven bucks. Yeah. But, you know, I'm actually going to do that myself. I, they actually beat me to the punch because what I was going to do is my next ghost hunt, I was going to capture me a ghost and put it in a Tupperware container and then uh, stick a pair of headphones into it so that you could actually <laughs> communicate with this ghost. And, and the ghost, of course, could, uh, you know, talk to its friends on the other side. So this is the ultimate Frank's box. Certainly keep the the contents fresh. Yeah, absolutely, on top of it. But, I, I mean, I think that's a great idea. I mean, you know, a ghost in the, in the box system and the ghost box. We actually have ghost in the box so that you can communicate in real time. None of this delayed action where you have to go back. I mean, it's, it's right there. You just speak to the ghost and the ghost talks to its buddies and you get all direct answers. I'm loving it. We have mediums over here that do that, uh, or claim to. Yeah, so, but think uh, of it, though, cutting out the middleman. Yeah, I'm thinking about I'm it. I'm telling you, Steve, you and I got to go into this. You know, you come over here in September, hey, you hey, are coming I, over. I, you, you, uh, when I come over there, I'm going to have to introduce you to Astral Turf. A little invention Astral of mine. Astral Turf, we uh, have Astral. We play football no, on it. No, the real no, football, no, no, not that. Not Astral game Turf, you Astral Turf. Oh. Astral Turf. Astral Turf. I this guess is, you uh, will. This is, this is specially blessed, enhanced uh, artificial grass um, that hmm. you stand upon, and it puts you, it grounds you uh, and enables you to uh, communicate and to uh, envision, envision um, spiritual beings. We, uh, we had right. great success with it in Dublin two or three years ago. Really? 
great. You did? I, yeah, it's a fantastic invention. And, and, and is that invented by our guest today? Is, is that who it is? Uh, no, no, I'm sure. I'm sure CJ will, uh, will would not like to be associated with astral turf. Um, no, but it's a, really? it's, it's, it was a very good segue into our guest tonight. Uh, paranormal okay. commentator, paranormalist, paranormal investigator, member of the Society of Psychical Research, and an avid gamer. Um, that's that's pretty much sums you up, does it, CJ? Or have, have I omitted about 101 of the things? <laughs> well, I've certainly spent far too much time playing Dungeons & Dragons-type games. This weekend I'm hosting um, a convention, with an international convention for players of a role-playing game called Ars Magica, and we're going to set around and pretend that we're 13th century wizards. So there's my credibility shot. Tell me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, CJ, CJ, are you into that world of Warcraft at all? I've never actually played it, amazingly. Um, reason being, I tend to play games with old-style dice and paper around a table with people, so I've never actually... I don't think I've ever had a computer that's good enough to actually run it, which is a bit of an admission, but I do all my research on a computer that's about eight years old, so I can't really run very good games nowadays. No, do you play I guess it? not. Yeah, well, uh, actually, I, I'm my... absolutely not a gamer, I'm afraid. I, I have... Yeah, I don't uh, doubt that. You're not, no yeah, gaming you're, 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 the you're the ghost in and ghost hunting. But my son actually met his uh, girlfriend through uh, World of Warcraft, so that's pretty amazing, you know. It's a go. Amazing. It's the next, uh, you know, the next, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, oh, God, I can't even think of it. We join people through the internet, so whatever. There it is. So anyway, CJ, you are with the SPR, which is probably the most distinguished uh, ghost hunting organization. Oh, it's not a ghost hunting organization. Let me tell you, paranormal research organization in the world. I, I believe it even trumps the ghost club. I'm, I'm not sure about that, though. It depends how you work out the dates. Um, the ghost club was <laughs> 1860s, wasn't it? And then a variety of periods when it was quiet and there was nobody running it, but the SPR has been continuously since 1882. But, I mean, just because the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research, is very, very distinguished, they every organisation makes mistakes and they let me in, so um, I don't think you can... I can't claim any kudos from that. I'm also a member of ASAP, the Association for Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena. They're doing a big conference on September the 7th here. So, I mean, I've been a member of a lot of organisations, but I don't think any of them would want me to to claim that I represented them in any way. (laughs) Still, I'm still intrigued by your Tupperware box, though. Is it really just a Tupperware box with headphones attached? Uh, Well, the photograph just shows a Tupperware box with a headphone cable sort of loosely wrapped around it. But from its description, there's obviously... uh, It's one of these EMF speaker devices that picks up... uh, electromagnetic waves and turns them into sound. So there's probably a coil of wire somewhere inside the Tupperware box, um, together with a couple of tomatoes and half a pie. Well, that's excellent. I mean, for $7, I don't need much Tupperware for that. And, I mean, the advantage is if the ghost produces any ectoplasm, it's just wiped clean, isn't it? It's what you need. <laughs> so, you know, I haven't just like this. It sounds like a revolutionary step forward in parapsychological research, and I, I for one, vote for it. But <laughs> jokes well, aside, I, I don't know. I, as I've said, there, there doesn't seem to be any limit to the inventiveness of ghost hunters or their ability to sting their fellow ghost hunters for a few for a few dollars. You uh, quid. You know, quid. Uh, I mean, you know, only only last week we were we were talking about Ron's latest purchase, his glow in the dark ultraviolet Ouija board. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, it's the best. Ultra violence. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. that's what you said. It was ultraviolet, wasn't it, Ron? Well, it's got purple light, so I, I, I have to. <laughs> I really haven't looked at it too significantly. I will let you know shortly because I'm going to be using it in my paranormal study group on uh, next Tuesday. So uh, I will come back with the latest information on this this really uh, state of the art Ouija board. I was at the I very was best. It's, it's it's extremely sexy. I can tell you that. Well, it's like its owner. Um, I was hoping you'd have, you'd have been able to report back by now. Uh, I was really looking forward to finding out how you got on with that, because uh, I saw the pictures no, you put no, The thing is, Stephen, is, you know, I have these paranormal study groups, and, and I have this new item, and I promised that they would be the first to work with it, and that's, I'm a man of my word, so that's what I have done. Trust me, I'm, I'm seeing it, watching it, looking at the shelf there, and, like, so excited about the dig my hands into that baby. So the interesting thing about the planchette on this, uh, which is kind of cool, it's pressure sensitive. So the little light doesn't go on until you put pressure on this, the uh, uh, planchette. Ah, so the, so what, it tells you when you're pushing it? No, 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 you, you have to put the pressure on it to make Oh, the you have to push it. You have to push it to make the light Not work. push it. Well, you, 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 no, 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 no. You, you're mis misinterpreting pressure and pushing. The no, two different no, forces. No, pressure Michael, means... My, no, Michael Faraday demonstrated unequivocally in the middle of the last, well, century before last, that, yeah. the, pu that the sitters will push the planchette. Objection. Yeah, that was that was Sustained. the middle of the last century. You know, this is the the twenty first century. We're well way beyond that. Hang on, we've yeah. had an object. We've had an objection, CJ. Yeah. Where? Where? I, don't, I believe that Faraday did demonstrate that beyond all. Um, you know, beyond. I mean, if you look at Batchelor stuff that he was doing in the sixties, where he was using pressure and strain gauges on a table that was being used in table tipping, and if you look at some of the other experiments that have been done since. I mean, we also we always see unconscious muscular action mentioned. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember the correct term for it, Steve. You'll know this. Idiot motor. Yeah, idiot motor. But I mean, I went a few years ago. I spent a long time going through all of my physiology books trying to find out anything at all on the idiomotor idio effect, and I couldn't actually find very much on it. It seems to be one of those phrases that's used, and everyone assumes is correct. But I mean. Um, was it Crawford Knox? W. Crawford Knox back in the 20s. He he put doubt upon it. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure that people push things by unconscious muscular action. Sure, sure, sure. I'm going to accept it, but I don't think we actually really know much about the physiology of it, and I don't think there's as many papers on the ideometer effect as skeptics would have you believe. But then again, this Thank is... Thank you so much, did. CJ. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not convinced. I mean, this morning, there was another paper over here that, that was published, and it was all in the headlines, near-death experience explained. Ah. We can explain away the NDE. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm scientifically minded, and as it happens, I've, you know, paid attention for the last 10, 15 years to all of the papers that claim to explain near-death experience. The problem is they never explain it in terms of the same parts of the brain. <clears throat> and in fact, it's almost farcical, because... Every single time scientists say they've explained the near-death experience, they actually come up with a completely different part of the brain which they claim is involved. I'll list them all if you want, but, you know. It really... No, that's all right. We'll accept it. And I mean, scientists, often skeptics come up with what 
they say is an explanation. Sleep paralysis, another great example, which to me is a placeholder because there's no actual physiological explanation of how it works in the majority of studies. You've got at least five different explanations for how sleep paralysis works. So, you know, that's why I'm a paranormalist, I guess, because I ask cynical questions. Yeah, look, Sorry, <coughs> interrupt. We have, a, we have a, an alternative title for the likes of you and I, though, don't we? I think spoil sport, usually. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the list you know, when, 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 when uh, Karen O'Keefe came over here, uh, you know, he told me all about the idiomatical, whatever it was. Oh, wow. But, you know, and I asked him, I says, well, can, you know, I don't doubt that that's happening, but can you show me which muscles we are using, which nerves we are using to push this thing, which is, you know, then we could actually measure them and, and see the activity that occurs. But uh, for some reason, he wasn't able to uh, well, give me a satisfying would, he, answer yeah, for that. Yeah. Well, it's not the sort of, um, the kind of equip medical equipment that would be required. The sort of sensors that detect minute electrical uh, muscle movement, which do exist. But we have really, that equipment. Uh, yeah, but we he have didn't that have them with it. He didn't have them with him that night. I think no, right. I asked him, why, why is the parapsychologist he isn't doing that? Do you know, that's one of the great questions. I, it's one, I, I remember asking Matthew Smith when he was uh, on Most Haunted, because he came out with that great explanation, oh, that was really interesting, and we really should go back, and we really ought to do this and that and the other. And I said to him, oh, months later, did you ever go back? And no. Well, why didn't you? It's your job. You're a parapsychologist. And they never do go back, do they? They just say it's interesting and go on to the next show. They're too so busy playing with the Gansfeld in the lab all the time. That's the problem with, par yeah, trouble with parapsychologists. Easy funding. Let's all head off to the conference, pat each other on the back and say how clever we are. Steve, Steve, if I may, you know full well that you know a, a hypothesis can be picked up by a handful people a few papers can come out and everybody can run with it and be convinced it explains everything it can become huge in the skeptic world you hear scientists quoting the term all the time but as ron has asked the basic question why can we actually measure this effect does it exist can you show it and yet you know people aren't actually willing to make that effort and i i think ron's absolutely right i think you know you've got to actually look at this idiometer effect or whatever it's called and actually show how it works otherwise it's just a placeholder I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and in fact, in fact, you've almost preempted my SPL conference presentation this year. Um, uh. Uh, just, a, just a little, you know, sort of free plug there for anybody heading up to the other conference on the same weekend as ASAPs in Bath, uh, and that's the uh -huh. Society for Psychical Research's annual get together and party, uh, which is held in, which is to be held in Swansea. The same weekend, um, and I'm at both, so I've got some driving to do that weekend. Well, you can just clone yourself, and that would be fine because we know cloning. I mean, we just cloned a hamburger, so we can clone anything. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I've I've no doubt it's probably in a Tupperware box talking to its dead relatives as, as we speak. Absolutely. I mean, the, un, unfortunately, the hamburger will cost $300,000, but, uh, you know, and it wasn't even that good, I understand. It was only edible, and it wasn't, you know, really delicious or anything, so. But it will save a lot of cows, 
it will save a lot of cows, and it will also prevent a lot of uh, greenhouse effect from all the uh, cows doing what cows do. So there you go. Uh, is, that, is that a euphemism for bullshitting? <laughs> uh, well, more like passing gas, but that's all right. Uh, we'll, we'll go the other way, too. Now, I'm not, I'm not the only one who does a lot of research, um, and I know that, uh, CJ, you... Uh, I don't know if it's is it still ongoing, but you have quite an active research program uh, project underway at the moment. Um, is it is it for sharing? Are you going to give us yeah. any early? I mean, anything I do is um, absolutely one hundred percent open to anyone. You know, the only time the only things I protect are client confidentiality, and I don't tell people if a project is underway. You know, the exact exactly the effect I'm looking for because that's going to bias the results. But sure, mm-hmm. sure. I don't do anything that's secretive. Um, yeah, I mean, one project that I've heard about recently, you had Mark English on a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Is he talking at ASAP or the SPR this year? And uh, Not to my knowledge. Uh, oh. I don't think Mark is. I had a message earlier from somebody asking me about Project Ghost Hook, and I really don't oh, think God, about it. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does keep cropping up in the chat rooms, this Project Ghost Hook, doesn't it? Uh, I don't... Just shoot me. So would it involve? So I thought I'd ask, but anyway, um, we're going to ask as well. We have not a clue about this project ghost hook. Okay, right. Because somebody I don't know has messaged me and asked about what I think of Mark English's project ghost hook, and I, I had to admit that I had no knowledge really. She seems right. Next, next week's show, we're going to get Mark on, and we're going to nail this one once and for all. Okay, cool. Well, my research, um, basically, I got uh, for a long time. Recently, you probably know that I spend a lot of my time, you know, critiquing stuff done by a famous English psychologist called Richard Wiseman. I'm sure you've heard of him. <laughs> and Richard Wiseman... Richard, wait a minute. Richard Wiseman, for those who don't know on this side of the pond, why don't you let us know who he is? I mean, I, I do know who he is, but I know there are a lot of people here who do not. Okay, right. He's a, he's a famous English psychologist who's on almost every TV show, he's incredibly charismatic, charming, witty. He's a right. brilliant author who's written a whole load of self-help books based on real psychology and um, a load of interesting psychological stuff. His PhD is in the psychology of deception, I believe. And he quite often turns his attention to the paranormal where he talks rubbish. I think that's a fair summary, really, from my perspective, though others would disagree with me. He's a sceptical darling of the English sceptic movement. Does that mean anything to you? Does that sound like a summary, Steve? Um, I think you're being generous to him. I actually think he's incredibly incredibly intelligent and charming, and I think he's a great, great researcher. But he, in one of his recent books, Paranormality, claimed to yeah. dismiss one show it was rubbish and dispel it, and in, in a kind of very James Randi-style way. And at some point last year, I found myself arguing with people on James Randi's forum, because I spend far too much time on the internet, and they were quoting uh, Richard Wiseman at me and quoting a study by two very famous American psychologists called Horan and Lange, which they said explained how houses came to be haunted or why people believe their houses were haunted. And uh, I decided immediately that I'd better get involved and have a look at this paper, because if it was right, then there wasn't anything really to explain. And my ghost hunting career may as well end there and then, because there were no ghosts. So... Basically, what happened was I read the paper, and the paper was based upon a very simple premise, which is ask people to keep a diary for 30 days and record if anything unusual happens to them in that time, and record 
what exactly happened, you know, that they might think was ghostly. So they were keeping a diary of a haunted house. But the interesting bit was their houses were, were, were not supposed to be haunted. Now, immediately we've got a problem there, because how can you show that someone's house isn't haunted? So, OK, let's assume for the moment their house wasn't haunted. Uh, what the psychologist that Wiseman quoted back in, from this 1996 paper showed was that people who did not believe their house was haunted came to believe it or came to see how you could believe it because they noticed all of these really weird things that kept happening objects moving equipment malfunctioning sense of presence etc etc so they found exactly the kind of thing that we associate with haunting cases and they said wiseman went on to claim based on their paper which goes further than they did that this could explain away the poltergeist so i don't know if that was if i said that too quickly but did it make sense ron i guess yeah, so basically they did this paper in which they said, we've done a diary study and it shows why people believe in ghosts and it's just down to right. people misinterpreting normal things. And then I looked at the number of people in the study and my hackle immediately went up on end because I thought, I can't quote this study. It had two participants, a couple who lived together in residence or rented accommodation attached to the university. And it was based on one diary from one couple. And I thought, well, you can't make a case for a haunting based on that. So, or to, to explain away all hauntings, as Rich Wiseman seems to do in Paranormality, based on what seems to me to be a single study. So I decided to replicate it. I decided to run the study again. And I've done that twice now. But the one that I finished and could talk about, um, I managed to get 13 couples who said they would do the study. And in the end, we only had... I think it was six diaries returned two of which said well one of which said we forgot to keep up the diary one of which said actually we kept up the diary and nothing happened at all and the other four reported some odd incidents and without getting into the really dull technical details the original hypothesis was that they would follow a certain curve as you built up the belief that your house was haunted so the first time you notice your car keys aren't where they should be you just shrug about, make a note of it. You don't, you know, you don't think much of it. But then you'll get more and more incidents, and as they do, and you start to think the house is haunted, you'll start to imagine things, and eventually you'll have a full-blown haunting, completely psychologically produced. Well, what I found was really interesting because actually, in the four who did send in diaries, they didn't follow any kind of curve. And uh, what became clear to me very quickly was that yes, weird things happen to us all almost daily. And some of these incidents were really, really bizarre. I mean, objects moving considerable distances. Um, it was in the week of running up to Halloween that I did that first study. And during that time, there were strange noises being heard from outside cackling. And, you know, some of it could be explained rationally. Some of it was a bit funny. But you could see how this could build up to a ghost hunt. But then when I actually stopped, I plotted the data on my curve, which is what the original researchers did, and showed what appeared to be it. And a lot of sceptical organisations picked me up on that and said, well, you know, CJ's replicated this. He shows that the original hypothesis is right. Hauntings are all in the mind. But actually, when you compare what was experienced in these diary studies with something like the Enfield poltergeist or the Andover poltergeist or the Cardiff responsive poltergeist or any of the classic cases of haunting from around the world, there's no comparison. You know, these are very trivial, small things. People not being able to find their keys, objects not being where they thought they were. You know, the cat could have done it. And 
I'm not convinced at all that it shows us anything about the nature of haunting. It does show us that normal, weird things happen on a daily basis. I mean, you could argue, actually, that people's own psychic powers could cause weird things to happen. They could actually haunt themselves once they're convinced there's a ghost present. But I don't believe it supports the sceptical hypothesis. And the reason is not the number of instances, but the scope of the instance. And the final straw for me was when I read again carefully Richard Wiseman stuff and noticed that in the original study that he'd been citing, I think it was 85% of the incidents involved a malfunctioning telephone, but the same malfunctioning telephone. Now, you know, if I said my phone... Where's Cal when we need him? Yeah. I mean, that's right up Cal Cooper's uh, Iowa malfunctioning telephone. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, if your telephone's malfunctioning, you don't record it as a haunting normally, do you? You phone up the phone company and shout at them. Actually, Kel's around. I think he's listening in at the moment. So if Kel wants to call in, that would be great. But uh, yeah, so I mean, basically, I found that this study that had been constantly reported, yes, there is some truth in it. Yes, there's scope for further investigation, but it doesn't go anywhere near as far as the skeptics say it does. And I find that interesting because nine times out of ten, the more I poke at the critiques put forward by skeptics, the more holes I find in them. And uh, that's why I'm in this really uncomfortable position of being both regarded as both a paranormalist woo and a complete skeptic, by, you know, by different communities. But usually I just like to try and experiment. So that's pretty much what I'm up to. I'm sorry, I've been very boring indeed, but hopefully some of your listeners could follow my strange English accent. Uh, <laughs> You're doing well, fine, Well, I have no TJ, trouble but... with the accent, but... But I think we need to explain the term there because I don't think but, our but American be, colleagues understand be, woo. Oh, wooism. Yeah, they, I don't think they understand wooism. It's a term that dates from the late 60s and the early written records of it that is used for things which are a little bit woo, meaning ghosts, the supernatural, and it's a derogatory term popularized by James Randi, the great American skeptic. And uh, I traced it back, and the earliest reference I can find is 1967, which makes me think it probably comes from the Rolling Stones hit Sympathy for the Devil, you know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, other people have suggested it comes from the noise that UFOs make on early Hollywood movies. <laughs> no, feminine-type noises. But, yeah, it's a derogatory okay, term. Used by... is, is just too much. <laughs> they, they, are, they are awesome. Awesome. Spe- you... you... I mean, we're, we're in the land of genius and just yep. coming up to an ad break, aren't we? Yes, actually, I just heard the voice of God telling me that uh, we are coming up to the break. So uh, Stack is down as well as uh, chat right now, so I can't get on either. So we, we will hear God every so often telling us what to do, and today God is a woman, so that's pretty good. But, you know, while uh, there are some that would argue talking, that every actually... day God is a woman. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, while CJ was talking, I actually had a paranormal experience here, and uh, and we're on the 15 seconds to go out, so I just want to briefly say it. While he was speaking, uh, my office just overwhelmingly had the smell of chocolate chip cookies, and Karen O'Keefe's name popped up in Skype. So I, I don't know what to make of it, but uh, it's certainly an experience. <laughs> So anyways, uh, we have to take a break right now. You are listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles International with the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons and the humble Ronald Kohler with our special guest, uh, CJ. And we'll be right back after the following messages right here on Tochinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and far beyond into the 
living end it. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation Every Wednesday night At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time On www.toginet.com So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening Like uh, Beyond Bizarre And Cemetery Tripping Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. back live having survived the ad break you're listening to the very aged but very lovely Ron Kolek New England's very own, what do you call yourself? Van Helsink yeah. there's a G on the end, it's Helsing oh, and, yeah, anyway, and anyway the, part, the, the Americans don't say herbs, they say herbs but we're on Ghost Chronicles International and <laughs> you do and that so very... eloquently. Let me tell you, uh, you know. I'm I, so know, glad I, I know. I know. Anyway, I better, yeah. do, I better do the station check in Togginet, Para X, Ghost Channel, and Beyond the Grave with tonight's very special guest, CJ Roma, who's a paranormalist, uh, gamer, and the <laughs> the, the, the sort of, that up? the sort of arch, the arch. <laughs> I, really... I don't know. 
Yeah, the arch druid of skepticism and wooism combined. Chief spoil sport. No, what I want to hear about is Ron's adventures in New England, because since I was a young child, New England, and especially places like, you know, Cape Cod, Providence, Massachusetts generally, have come to epitomise in my mind a certain kind of American Gothic ghost story. And, you know, I mean, I think everyone wants to go and investigate ghosts somewhere other than their native country. And here in England, we spend so much time on folklore and ruined abbeys, etc. It must be very, very different in New, in New England and in Massachusetts. And where are you based, Ron? Mass, which is actually, of course, there is a town in England called Greggethead as well, but it's spelled totally differently. But anyways, yeah, New England, of course, is, is a, a lot different than um, England in that your buildings are so much older than ours and so quainter, and ours are, are different. To, they have a different feel about them. They have that uh, Salem mystique uh, to them. But, uh, you know, I remember a few years back, uh, we had a uh, German uh, television crew come over here, was doing a documentary on the New England Ghost Project, and uh, they wanted to go to, like, the haunted house on the hill where nobody was, and, and I took them sure. to a, a, a restaurant, and it was a house at one time, and they said, no, this won't do, and, but yet. It did because it was uh, so interesting uh, activity-wise versus that thing he was looking like, that classic gothic house. But we have all different things, all different locations, and everything from lighthouses to murder scenes to uh, you name it. we got a woods that are haunted by Pukwudgie, so there you go. It's not that different than over here, then. Really? Well, not by the sound of it. I mean, we have, I, I, I mean, I'm English, but um, so CJ, you, I'm going to have to transpose myself to fight the Welsh corner for, for a little. Um, but we have haunted lighthouses. We have haunted woodlands. We have the haunted house on the hill, the sort of archetypal haunted house. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see anything radically different, except most of our buildings are older than your country. But other than that... Mm-hmm. I mean, most, so of the be most of the people here right. are older than your country, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> Steve, I can never notice that we always end up investigating haunted industrial estates, haunted go-karts uh, centres, haunted, uh, you know, modern new-built houses that were built 10 years ago. Has, has that not been part of your career? or Actually, um, well, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest investigations we ever did was a giant, uh, the big ship, uh, shipbuilding yard up in Merseyside, uh, which, funnily enough, um, had a go-karting track inside it. And quite recently, down here in West Wales, another industrial complex with a haunted reputation that attracted my attention for a little while, oddly enough, had a go-kart track inside it. So uh, maybe there's something we're missing there. Maybe uh, haunted go-kart tracks are. But modern council properties, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, stuff that's, you know, barely the mortar's dry and the paint's dry on the wall before the ghosts uh, have moved in or people start reporting them. That's, that really isn't uh, very uncommon here in, in GB. Um, do you find that's the same over there, Ron, or, or do your ghosts prefer older, um, more settled foundations? Our ghost hunters prefer older and most unsettled foundations. Good answer. But I don't think the ghosts really give a rat's ass, to tell you the truth. 
um, you know, we've done everything from roller skating rinks to, like I said, restaurants or schools or modern office buildings, uh, dentist office. Uh, you know, it's it's all here. But you know what? I, getting off to that topic, I, I I have two learned people on the show today, and 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 I, I'm curious about something. Yeah. Uh, and so I figured if I put it to you guys, you can explain it to me so that I I don't have to waste any more brain cells on this uh, little project. I mean, I all know, I mean, I know what what uh, Mr. Parson thinks of Orbs and so forth, so we're not going to talk about that. But there are times uh, when you see many photographs with a almost a dense mist in it. So what are our theories on this dense mist, other than breath, because it's not always a cold night? No. I once took uh, Flepper Priory, where I had my formative ghost experience in 1987 when I was 18. I saw a very, 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 to me, convincing apparition with four friends. There were five of us who witnessed it. It was daylight. We weren't looking for a haunting. We went back a few weeks later, and we took some photos, and one of them's got a rather wonderful picture of what looks like a shrouded skeleton. Everyone sees it as soon as they see it. It's just a perfect simulacrum. It looks so much like it. But it turned out that, that was just somebody holding a cigarette under the camera. So there can be perfectly normal explanations. But, I mean, the presence of water vapour in the in the air. Steve's going to come up with all kinds of sceptical explanations now, aren't you, Steve? Whereas, to me, uh, Well, no, but I am going to point out something that's really, really obvious to uh, many, many photographers. And for people who live in the country, you don't have to have a cold night to have condensation. Um mm-hmm. You know, I, I live in the country. The temperature uh, last night was in the high teens. That's Celsius, uh, not Fahrenheit. Um, and we have lots of condensation. Um, people, there are what, lots of. What about of, inside, you know, though, Steve? What about inside? I mean, I, I, you know, okay, let's let's discount the outside crap. All right. Okay. I mean, we all know all outside. That, that can... all, all outside photography is now discounted. Go on. I right, wasn't going to do just, that. But... We're talking about a mist in the inside of a house now. So what are some of the exp- explanations for a mist in the inside of the house? And that, that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, and, well, and I'm not saying it's paranormal. I'm just first. trying to find out some explanation okay. for it. Well, let's hit the most obvious first. And the most obvious uh, candidate for a mist in front of the camera is the photographer um, in terms of either um, – a malfunction within the equipment that's gone undiagnosed and unnoticed, a fingerprint on the lens, the fact that the photographer themselves is a large sweating object uh, pouring out pouring out litres of condensation into the obviously much cooler environment. Um, there, are, there are lots and lots of possible explanations, but that doesn't mean to say that we should rule out the paranormal possibilities also. There are... I was asked recently by uh, Japanese television uh, to point them in the direction of some compelling ghost video and ghost photography. And in actual fact, I I really can't. Um, there are very interesting pictures that do exist. But in the main, they they don't exist in the way that we would count them as being evidential. And that's the process that we have to go through. We, we're presented with a photograph that has an unusual mist. We're told there's nobody in the room. Well, clearly there is as a photographer, um, mm-hmm. although they do appear sometimes on CCTV images. Um, mm-hmm. But in isolation, we're, we're seeing a very small percentage of the actual space. We're not seeing what's taking place behind the camera. We've got no environmental data 
to support the to support the conditions that were inside the room other than perhaps anecdotal information it was it was it was warm um it was dry and nobody was having a cigarette now if you presented that in terms of a CSI, you you wouldn't get very far because there is no evidence. So the picture in isolation really isn't very helpful. And debating it, I would question, is that actually a worthwhile um, exercise for, for, you know, an investigator to spend hours and hours, you know, poring over one photograph or a few seconds of video without that supporting essential (laughs) that we need you know we we do get we we do see all these photographs we do see the videos and the sound clips now from the evp recorders um mm-hmm. but they're presented always in isolation there's no context to them there's no there's no additional information um that 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 we we so desperately require in order to make sense of the circumstances but steve this is going back to what you said earlier about matthew smith never going back one of the things that paranormal tv has done is to show investigations as a contextless go along exist in a vacuum not pay attention to anything or to the environment or to the witnesses who live in the building kind of show it's just a one-off experience of a vigil and that's the way paranormal investigation is presented on a lot of television isn't it it's also unfortunately the way it's it's been conducted i mean i I've argued uh, for a long time that you can't do a ghost investigation or a paranormal investigation in one night or even in one year. Um, you know, it's a repeated process. Price's example with Borley, where he hired the place for a year, is probably the closest that, that you could come to an ideal um, but to go along, I mean, groups these days, investigators these days, are much more uh, focused on getting the results up as fast as they can onto Facebook or indeed Twittering or tweeting the results in real time uh, during the investigation, you know, stay tuned for the next tweet. This isn't helpful to, to the subject uh, or the claims that they're investigating, uh, you know, the paranormal. Well, you know, I've always said that in reality, it's, it's more of a scary interactive movie night out with your mates. Well, that's what but, it's become anyway. No, no, legend tripping has its place. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, it's exactly. It's good fun, and as a social as a social enterprise, you know, it, 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 it's something we all we all do enjoy. But then to wrap that up and call it an investigation, I'm ranting again. Sorry, Ron. No, carry I've, on. I've got a story actually about a, a peculiar mist. Only it was seen outside, so we can discount it. And uh, <laughs> you know what it is? It was a patch of there's a, there's a phenomenon called ground fog where you've got low lying water, and we're coming down from Stroud one night. In fact, what it actually was was it was the last night I ever worked with the most haunted guys, and we were taking Phil Wyman, one of the investigators, down to a shoe. We were driving him down to I the hotel with. Yeah, and Phil was in the car with us, and he, who was driving, suddenly slammed the brakes on. I mean, it was a scary moment, because I was sitting next to him, and I thought I saw a little old lady crossing the road. And what it is, is there's a pond down there, and there's a patch. It was misty. There's a mist that gathered around, and it looked like a little woman walking across the road. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure it went through her that it was actually a patch of ground mist. And, I mean, you know, we all stopped and rationalized ourselves afterwards we all went oh okay okay it was just a patch of fog but i mean that was a real horror show moment and 
the emotional response was tremendous. So even a complete skeptic like me, I'm not a complete skeptic, but even a skeptic like me can can easily respond emotionally to something as insignificant perhaps to Steve as a patch of mist. And I think if you've got a photo and if you've spent eight hours sitting in a dark room with a group of people uh, trying to wait to see if there's any kind of activity, then if all you've got is a misty photograph, then at least that is something of interest to look at and try and work out a rational That's why you might fix on it. Yeah, but the part of the problem, yeah, though, yeah. Is, is, is the fixation, because it, if we take one location, take Hampton Court Palace, um, the, I, I know it hasn't been investigated, but as an example, every day there's probably, you know, eight, ten thousand people walk around, all of them have got cameras, and they're all happy snapping away. They go home, they look at their pictures, um, and they're quite content. They've got their holiday photos, they've got the great souvenirs of the day out. Now, they don't spot any anomalies because they're not looking for anomalies. What they're looking for is what they took pictures of. If you then took a team of ghost investigators to Hampton Court Palace um, and they took seven, eight, nine hundred photographs, I guarantee you they would find an anomaly. And the reason they would find it is because they're looking for one. And every every photograph taken with a film camera um, Almost every photograph taken with a digital camera. If you look hard enough, you will find an anomaly, a fault within the the emulsion, within the digital mapping, the the pixel layers of the the uh, the, 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 the digital camera uses. Steve, you said a palace, but it has actually been investigated. Uh, Kieran O'Keefe, Richard Wiseman, um, there were well, uh, okay. a really complicated study there. It's been, it's been a criticized have right it, that's right yeah karen did a, a, a great study there and with some interesting results too if i recall yeah yeah i mean we tried something similar up at tamworth castle and we didn't use the electronic thing what we did was we used mediums and we went in first and i asked the staff who worked there where people had had experiences mapped it out and then just to see if you could work with mediums what we did was took psychic and medium claimants around tamworth castle and ask them to try and, you know, choose the spots on the map, pin the tail on the donkey, where they felt things occurred. And then we recorded, and then we analysed the maps of where they'd done it. So, I mean, you know, a very low-tech experiment, but it was interesting. And uh, we also asked imaginative sceptics to go around the castle and say, can you show us the spots where you think people would imagine a ghost? And then, again, we compared the data. I mean, that's the kind of thing anyone can do, and I think it, it was... Um, Oh, the lady who named Gertrude Schmeidler came up with the idea in 1981. Brilliant concept, very useful and interesting, I find. But, you know, anyway, um, sorry. I'm... No, no, no. It's a concept that I wholly support. And it, it's, it's actually an effective way of making use of people who, who claim sensitivity or, or special abilities, psychic abilities. Um, but I think because one of the dangers is uh, when an investigation team uses or, or, or has part of it uh, the team comprising of medium sensitives that they're given perhaps too much credence to, to the information that they provide they they often end up leading or perhaps even misleading the investigation um, by all means take on board um, the information that they're giving you but I think what Schmeidler did uh, and I think what investigation teams should do is, is we've talked about giving the psychic uh, a walk around perhaps with a plan, mark on areas of interest, but everybody should do it. Um, because yeah. every, everybody, you know, a psychic is, 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 
it's an unproven ability, but one that we shouldn't disregard. But at the same time, we shouldn't give it, you know, undue credibility. Um, so all human, all human accounts, all of our, uh, when we conduct investigations, everybody's account is given equal weighting, regardless of whatever beliefs they have or whatever abilities they may claim to have. The thing is, when we did it, we needed four groups. We needed a group of media who prepared the maps and interviewed the staff and the witnesses, knew where things were supposed to happen, and plotted that and hoped that our map was fairly accurate. And then a final group of imaginative skeptics, that's three groups. But then we also needed people who didn't know anything at all about the history of the building, but who knew the layout of the building to show around each because And we had to change that for each person, because if you have the same person show around three mediums, and medium one picks up in the blue bedroom, I'm feeling a presence, you know, there's a ghastly thing here. When they take the second medium in, they're going to hesitate, their breathing's going to change, and they'll give off unconscious cues. So it's much harder to control than you'd think. But even so, we had some quite interesting results with it. And, you know, I think it's something people should be doing more of. But then I would say that, wouldn't I? I, I hmm. wish people would would listen to you then and do more of that sort of type of investigation. Um, but unfortunately, as as I've said before, um, it's very much a case of the end result of the investigation these days. The raison d'être for the investigation seems to be how fast can you get it onto Facebook and Twitter. Well, the last two years, I don't think I've actually set foot in a haunted house because most of the research I've done, and I've done considerable amounts, has involved what well, I have set foot, but only during the day to interview witnesses because I haven't tried to see the phenomena, and for the last decade that's ceased to interest me, because I find sitting around in the dark profoundly tedious, and nothing ever seems to happen when I'm there, probably because I'm psychic as a house brick. I don't discount other people having abilities, I think that's highly likely. So what I concentrate on is the original witnesses, the people who lived in the house, what happened to them, trying to record that data in as much detail as possible, which is a really boring way of investigating, but it's what I do. It's the only way to do investigations. Oh, did I say that out loud? The next Steve. Whatever, very boring. It's not boring but, but, as 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 a uh, quick plug for Spirit Quest, um, as I hope <laughs> to, to to show you face to face in a just six short weeks' time. Um, but also coming over for Spirit Quest, I think is going to be a great, hopefully, educator for me too, because um, there are fundamental differences now between the way that uh, the Americans conduct and carry out paranormal investigations, very much more uh, gadget-focused, equipment-focused, although that's spreading back now from um, from the American TV shows back to the UK. But, um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to Spirit Quest. Come on, Ron, help me out. Plug, plug, plug. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's more than that. I mean, there's there's going to be so many different, uh, you know, parts of this. And, um, in fact, I just uh, finished the write-up on the, the thing we're doing at the Old Manse, which we're doing a Harry Price-style ghost hunt. And uh, I'm intrigued by that. And, and uh, Steve and I talked about it a little bit. In fact, it even has a seance in it, which was, you know, really piqued my interest. That's the old glamour stuff. I love that stuff, you know, the old old-time uh, spiritual stuff. but uh, And also at, at SpiritQuest, which is uh, October 4th or 6th, we'll be doing a paranormal survivor ghost hunt, which will be interesting. It'll be the U.K. versus the U.S. So there you go. 
and uh, I know who's going to win that, so I don't even have to go any farther. Is this going to involve tea chests down Boston Harbor again? No, nothing to do with tea chests. No, not at all. Not at all. No, no. no. And min- min- about... Minutemen, Minutemen, nothing like that, no? No, this is all about the evidence, okay. Steve. All about the evidence. Okay, just wanted to make sure that I didn't I didn't need to uh, pack anything extra into the suitcase by way of musketry. <laughs> no, we're all fully equipped here. Right? Besides Massachusetts, we have strict gun laws, so you're, you're screwed. So I, I want to go. I want to go back to CJ and and talk a little bit about the the SPR. How long you've been with them, and and why why join them? 21 years, and originally, because they were the only organization I knew who were doing anything about it, and I saw a ghost, and I didn't understand what was going on, and I didn't believe in ghosts, and I wanted to understand it. And I thought if I went along and joined a premier parapsychological organization, I would get answers, and I would soon understand everything, and life would be great again. And what I actually found was the SBR, of course, doesn't have any corporate opinions, so all the members have their own ideas, and I've spent... 20 odd years trying to work out which of them are sane and which of them aren't quite so sane and actually they're nearly all sane but you know there are so many disagreements and it's a healthy thing in a research community i mean english parapsychology we all disagree and we all have bad jokes and we all come up with silly ideas and sometimes we actually come up with something that's useful but there's not a lot of ego at least at my end of things you know the absolute bottom of the pile i'm sure it's different once you reach steve's level but at my level you know Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Will you stop, will you stop this um, false bigging me up? <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only a lowly ghost hunter. Uh, same here, same here. And of course, we are the lowest of the low. I'm proud of it. I'm proud right. of it. I, ha- I have my Ghostbuster tattoo. I have my, I know my place. Hmm. Well, one of the problems I found with the SPR is it didn't actually have much interest in apparitions or ghosts, That's which struck true. me. And I... Some of the papers in the journals were just so over my head. Um, Hippocampal kindling and feta resonance, which is a study of temporal lobe effects by James McHarg, always brings to mind. Yeah, a, you know, a very good book, excellent for bedtime reading, along yeah. with trans, transliminal personality disorders within the Gansfeld chamber. Oh, okay, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that actually, you know, I try and I do read every journal, but for a period when I was suffering from insomnia, sometimes that's the only way I can <laughs> And I did at one point sleep on SBR journals because we ended up with a lorry of them, but that's another story. So <laughs> I actually kind of drifted away from for the best part of a decade and got involved briefly with ASAP, who did a bit more actual active ghost hunting. And then the whole most haunted thing occurred. And I'd been running a small local group and doing ghost hunts. And suddenly everybody was doing it. Everybody and their sister set up their own group. And there were groups everywhere I went. And you could turn up at a haunted location and find three groups the same night. And it was a different world, a different world. But, I mean, the SBR does have a lot to offer. Um, it's it's a fantastic organization. There's incredible wealth of knowledge and resources there, much the same with ASAP and the others. But I am, like Steve, a humble ghost hunter, I'm afraid. So I'm probably Actually, I'm proud. You know, CJ, I'm absolutely proud to be a ghost hunter. Uh, I, I know go. that we're both, we both, yeah. uh, we both yeah. dabble in parapsychology. Um, and, and, uh, let's be honest. We both know a little bit about parapsychology, but yep. you know, I'm I'm proud to be a ghost hunter. Plain, no frills. You know, there's a long history of ghost hunting that long predates the Society for Psychical Research. Psychical, mm-hmm. you know, 
psychical investigation has been going on for thousands of years. You know, as long as man has been seeing ghosts, there's been some clod sitting up half the night trying to um, catch the catch the thing. You know, Athenodorus he hired the house so that he could catch the ghost. Um, there you go. The ghost. And so, anyway, if I did hear the doorbell, which means the pizza from the dead is here, so we've got to wrap up the show. Uh, so, <laughs> CJ. CJ, do you have anything you would, would you like to add? Do you have any uh, website or anything you want to throw in at us? Or... Yeah, when scientists say they can explain something, don't believe them. Always question what is given as a sceptical scientific answer, because very often when you look at it closely, it's as flawed as the paranormal one. So always question everything. Cool. And uh, you uh, continue to work on your project uh, with with the uh, the farms and the uh, whatever you talked about before the Wiseman project, I'll, I'll carry on with my ghost hunting. It'll, it'll carry on. We'll do stuff. Yeah, there you go. and thank you and for having the me most important the, the most important que- question, CJ. Before you go, uh, you you have you ever gone ghost hunting with uh, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons? I've never been with Mr. Parsons. No, no, I'm not that kind of girl. No, I've never okay. been ghost hunting with Steve. And, uh, he, one day, he is a fortunate and lucky, lucky man. Maybe one day, maybe, maybe, maybe down at the ASAP conference on the seventh, Steve, we can go for it. Um, yeah, we can. We, we can certainly talk about it. <laughs> right, no problem. Well, there's on the campus, man. See you there. Well. <laughs> You will I, I, hear, I hear the music, which means we're heading out. So uh, I want to thank you, CJ, uh, so much, CJ Romer, for joining us and giving us your own views on uh, ghost hunting and what we do. And, of course, I want to thank my co-host, the uh, ghost hunting and ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. Did I mention that before? I think I did. Anyway, uh, until next week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so until next week, good night and God bless everyone. Good night and God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.